Welcome to the Radiant Podcast. We are so glad you joined us today. This podcast features messages, interviews, and discussions from Radiant Church located in Seneca, South Carolina. For more information about Radiant, visit RadiantChurchSC.com. Here's today's episode. Welcome to Radiant Church. My name is Andrew. I'm lead pastor. We're so glad you could join us today. For everyone watching or listening from, if this is your first time joining us, hey, go to RadiantChurchSC.com and click I'm new. If you fill out that short form online for us as a way of saying thanks, we're going to donate $5 to one of the nonprofits that's listed. We're at the end of the narrative portion of the book of Daniel. So for the last seven weeks, we've walked through the first six chapters, which contain stories about Daniel and his friends' time in Babylon. And we started in Daniel chapter one, learning about keeping our faith firmly rooted in Christ. And then in Daniel two, Nebuchadnezzar had a dream and he learned that God is setting up a kingdom which will outlast the Babylonians. It's going to last forever. Uh, Daniel three saw us explore the battle over worship and the deep trust of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had in the Lord. Uh, we got Daniel 4, and we discovered if we, we want to avoid living in the insanity of pride, then we have to walk in humility. And then in Daniel chapter 5, God gave us uh, some warnings to pay attention to, lest we find ourselves in a place like Belshazzar did. And then finally, we got to Daniel 6 last week, and we took some time to walk through the exceptional qualities which define Daniel's high character. But these aren't qualities solely limited to, to Daniel. These are qualities that God's Spirit um, has and is developing within each of us who, who follow Christ, that we can build influence as Daniel did and lead people to Jesus. Now, the rest of Daniel 6 contains the story which just makes him so famous. If you grew up in church, um, you've heard the story about Daniel and the lions, then probably like six different ways from Sunday. If you didn't, though, no problem. In fact, we're just going to set everything up so that all of us right here are on the same page, no matter where you're watching or listening from today, no matter what your background might be. So we read the first few verses of the story last week. Darius and the Persians have conquered Babylon, and he's decided to divide up the, the, the former empire into 120 provinces with governors who are then held accountable to high officials, each responsible for about a third of those uh, provinces, right? So Daniel is among those chosen for that position, and uh, it's unique because he's not Babylonian, he's not Persian, he is a Jewish exile. It's really important, hold on to that. Uh, this is a good time, too, to talk about the players involved in this story. So let's talk about uh, Daniel. He's probably about you know 80 or in his 80s at this point. He served with great success under different Babylonian rulers. Now he enters the service of the Persian Empire. What might be his most powerful and influential position yet? Then there's Darius. Now we don't know a whole lot about him. Um, Darius might not even be the guy's actual name. Uh, there's some debate as to, to what his name means. It could be a title given to the person acting as the Persian ruler in Babylon. So think of how like, you know, the Pope takes on a name that's not really his actual name when he enters office. Ratzinger became Pope Benedict, right? Uh, that theory means that Darius could actually be Cyrus himself. And if you look at your footnotes in some of your Bibles under verse 28, you might read of Darius, that is the reign of Cyrus the Persian. So a lot of biblical editors buy into that theory. We just don't know for sure. Finally, there's the advisors who are Daniel's opponents. And these guys, man, they're, they're jealous. And if you're a power broker, you're never satisfied, right? Like you always want more. Royal courts were cutthroat entities that were difficult to survive in as a result. And so each minister, uh, each advisor, they're always looking for a way to one-up um, each other for more power and influence. In the original language that Daniel was written in, which is Aramaic, 
And actually in describing what these guys do, it, it reads that they were literal conspirators who acted with malicious intent. Um, so cutthroat's a good, a good way to describe it. Maybe Daniel seemed like easy pickings to them because he wasn't Persian. We're not quite sure. But the problem, as we saw last week, was these, these advisors cannot find any fault in him. So verse number four um, says there's nothing they could find to even criticize him about. And that leads us to the story today and what happened starting in verse number five. So check it out. Daniel 6, verse number five. They concluded, our only chance of finding grounds for accusing Daniel will be in connection with the rules of his religion. So the administrators and the high officials went to the king and said, long live King Darius, we are all in agreement. We administrators, officials, high officers, advisors, and governors, mouthful, right? That the king should make a law that will be strictly enforced. Give orders that for the next 30 days, any person who prays to anyone, divine or human, except for you, your majesty, will be thrown into the den of lions. And now, your majesty, issue and sign this law so it cannot be changed, an official law of the Medes and the Persians that cannot be revoked. So King Darius signed the law. If this feels a little familiar, it's because Daniel 3 has a similar setup. So Nebuchadnezzar commands his officials to worship the giant statue that he's created. Um, there's advisors who are jealous, so Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So they, they bring to Nebuchadnezzar's attention, uh, you know, hey, those guys aren't bowing over there. And the penalty was death, and the method was you know, burned alive through a fiery furnace. There's some minor but key differences between Daniel 3 and 6. One deals with worship, Daniel 3, other with prayer, right here in, in chapter 6. I would argue as a Christian, it's difficult to separate the two. Like They're, they're pretty intertwined, right? Uh, but the other one deals with the type of government decree. So in Daniel 3, there's a government decree stating what you have to do to worship. In Daniel 6, the decree states, well, you can't pray unless it's directed to the king himself. Now, a question I've always asked when I've read this story is like, you know, why would Darius sign off on something like this? You know, it kind of seems odd, doesn't it? Because it's only for a month. It's not like it's forever. And so, like, is it an egotistical thing, or is there something else that we, we just aren't really seeing here in the story? So remember what Darius is doing, right? <clears throat> Text gives you a clue. Uh, it intentionally records how he's transitioning, breaking up the empire of Babylon. He's breaking it up into 120 provinces. So he's decentralizing power to a more local level. Anytime you have a period of transition, especially one as drastic as the one that he's in, you need to have something to unite everyone together. You know, we have 50 states in America, different cultures and people. We are not the same in South Carolina as folks in Massachusetts or Texas or Oregon. So what unites us? Well, it's our, it's our system, right? Constitution, Bill of Rights, that unites us on a federal level. That doesn't exist in the Persian Empire. So the people are used to an emperor having total control in Babylon and, and being the glue to keep it all together. So perhaps Sarias is thinking, you know what? It's only 30 days. If everyone allows me to be a mediator in their prayers, we have something in common to hold on to. It doesn't matter what culture you're from, or what beliefs you hold. If you direct your prayers to me, I'm the central figure, and we can hold people together on the basis of their beliefs while we're trying to reset everything. You know, he's not a god. He's not being treated like a god either, you know, because this decree is only for 30 days. If, if, he, if he's, you know, gods last forever. So if Darius is being seen as a god, there'd be no expiration date on this decree. So what is he? He's a mediator. We you direct your prayers to Darius, he mediates between you and God. That's the intent with the actual decree. 
And the real intent and motivation, of course, is to isolate Daniel based on his faith and trap him from the advisor's perspective. There's some important takeaways, though, here in this final story of Daniel. And, and the first goes right along with the decree. Jesus is our mediator. He's our mediator. Listen to what Paul says about Christ and this role. 1 Timothy 2.5, there's one God and one mediator who can reconcile God and humanity, the man Christ Jesus. You know, no one can make you right with God apart from Christ. No one can take your prayers and plead with you before God on your behalf apart from Him. We have to be careful that we don't allow someone or something else to slip into that role, even ourselves. You know, like our emotions, they can, they can get the best of us, can't they? You know, the heart, Proverbs says, is deceitful above all else. You might wish that you could pray on behalf of another person and set them up eternally for their sake and they're all good, but you can't do that. There's only one mediator, and you're not him. You may strongly desire for others to follow a similar but different path to God's kingdom, you know, using other means and mediators, but they can't because there's only one mediator who makes us right with God, who pleads our case, who brings us to the throne room of heaven, and that's Jesus. So the story continues. Check this out in verse number 10. <clears throat> but when Daniel learned that the law had been signed, he went home and he knelt down as usual in his upstairs room with the windows open toward Jerusalem. And he prayed three times a day, just as he'd always done, giving thanks to his God. And then the officials went together in Daniel's house and they found him you know, praying and asking for God's help. I've always found this part of the story a little interesting. Why does Daniel pray three times a day? And why does he face towards Jerusalem when he does it? I mean, that seems a little strange, you know? We don't really read about people facing that direction, you know, towards Jerusalem when they pray. And we certainly don't read about people praying, like, specifically three times a day. That's, that's very, very detailed. Why is that all in there? All right, let's, let's start with, with this. We can't be certain, but it definitely feels like Daniel's taking King Solomon's prayer to heart. So when the temple, which Daniel would have seen desecrated and later destroyed by the Babylonians, was built... King Solomon offered up this prayer, 1 Kings chapter 8. If the skies are shut up and there's no rain because your people have sinned against you, and if they pray toward this temple and acknowledge your name and turn from their sins because you have punished them, then hear from heaven and forgive the sins of your servants, your people Israel. Teach them to follow the right path and send rain on your land that you have given to your people as their special possession. Here's the second takeaway today. Daniel's faith was consistent. It's consistent. Notice we're told Daniel went home and began to pray as usual in his room. He'd probably been praying towards Jerusalem and you know, with that prayer perhaps in mind for just decades. I mean, can't you hear him now? You know, can't you hear him? He's, he's on his knees and he's crying out to God for, for his people and their national sin of abandoning the Lord and believing and hoping they're going to return to their land again. Like God's going to forgive them. I mean, just think about what he had seen. You know, God, he, God had abandoned his earthly home, which was the temple. That's where the Spirit of God dwelt. And his, you know, we read about that in Ezekiel 9 uh, through 11. Because the presumption of his people uh, went like this. Hey, Jeremiah, you see this temple? None of the stuff you say is going to happen. It'll never happen because God lives here. Jeremiah chapter 7. And that, that allowed the Babylonians to come in and tear it apart, which is what Lamentations is all about. So I'm sure that Daniel wasn't the only Jewish exile praying for the same thing. But I mean, at around 80, you kind of got to wonder, did he get tired of it? 
You know, did he get tired of praying for this and nothing happening? Maybe it's because culture, you know, we live in a world where, where patience is not much of a virtue. We'll say that it is here in the West, but it's really not. We have to have everything right now. Results have to happen right away. We expect God to operate in the same manner. You know, and if we've been praying for something for years and decades and nothing has happened, any reason, well, perhaps God isn't who he says he is. He, he doesn't care. Or maybe there's something wrong with me, you know. But what if God's timing is just much further advanced than you thought? And what if you're, you know, you're, you're, you're keep, you keep praying consistently with the hope and expectation that God has heard your prayer and he'll actually answer it. It was a full 70 years before the prayers were answered and the Jewish folks were able to turn back to Judah. So Daniel has a, a consistent prayer life. And he prays this way three times a day. We don't usually read about, again, how many times someone prays in Scripture. But we're given this amount specifically in Daniel. I think it's to show that his faith was consistent, whether there was a a decree to pray towards the king or not. Daniel had seen, you know, he had his windows open. Not so everyone could see him, but because that's just what he did every day. And so day in and day out, he lives a, a life where his faith is consistent. And I just wonder today, man, is your faith consistent? And I don't mean that you keep the same, you know, Bible reading and prayer times or whatever. I mean, do you consistently live out your faith? Do you find time to, yes, read the Bible and pray? But do you, do you model your faith in your words and your actions? How you live your life? It's a form of worship. Romans 12, 1 and 2 teaches us that. Everything you do and say should be grounded in your faith. Your, your life preaches for you, so you don't have to get on a soapbox and do it. So let's go further. When the day comes, and I really believe it, 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 will, it will come, when you're faced with the decision to stay rooted and true to your faith in Christ or compromise, will you stay consistent? Might cost you your job. Might cost you your relationships. Might cost you your life. I, I don't know. But will you stay consistent? You'll know for sure in those moments just how genuine and real your faith is when it's tested to that degree. And those are difficult moments to be sure. And that's why Daniel's asking for God's help. Verse number 11. He knows the decree. He knows what will happen if he's discovered, which is what happens in that verse. But Daniel, the same Daniel, by the way, who resolved himself as a teenager in in chapter 1 not to compromise his faith and stay rooted when the culture shifted, he does it again here. He stays consistent. The advisors find him praying to God, asking for his help. And they just take off and form to rise. They can't wait. And we read in verse 14, it deeply troubles the king. But he doesn't really have much of a choice. Because when a law signed in Persia is permanent, not even the king can change the law. Now, we could issue a second law, which directly opposed the law he didn't like. We actually see this in the story of Esther. Xerxes issued a law allowing Jews to be killed and their property taken away. Then he, you know, he can't reverse it. So then he writes a second law that he issues later that allows the Jews to legally defend themselves and take the property of their enemies if they defeat them. So, you know, the king could kind of write one that negates the one he already wrote. But, you know, that doesn't happen here. And I don't really know why that's the case, but it doesn't. So it appears that it's all over for Daniel, doesn't it? Look at verse number 16. 
So at last the king gave orders for Daniel to be arrested and thrown into the den of lions. And the king said to him, May your God whom you serve so faithfully rescue you. And a stone was placed over the mouth of the den. And the king sealed the stone with his own royal seal and the seals of his nobles. That's important. So that no one could rescue Daniel. And the king returned to his palace and spent the night fasting. And he refused his usual entertainment and couldn't sleep all that night. So the king seals it, his, his officials and nobles seal it, the guys who want to trap Daniel, they seal it too. Uh, Darius, I think he did have some hope that Daniel would be okay. He hopes in verse 16 that God's going to rescue him. There's another clue too in verse 19, look at this. Very early the next morning, the king got up and he hurried out to the lion's den. And when he got there, he called out in anguish, Daniel, servant of the living God, was your God, whom you serve so faithfully, able to rescue you from the lions? There's definitely hope, even a small amount of faith Darius has, which kind of leads him to believe Daniel's going to be okay. He's going to pull out of this. Otherwise, I don't think he would have gotten up early and ran out there and called out to him. Now, what happens next is what makes this story so famous. Look at verse 21. Daniel answered, Long live the king. My God sent his angel to shut the mouths of the lions. They would not hurt me, for I have found innocent in his sight. And if I have not wronged you, your majesty. And so the king was overjoyed, and he ordered Daniel to be lifted from the den, and not a scratch was found on him, for he had trusted in his God. Now, wait a minute, right? Like, wasn't Daniel guilty of breaking the law? So shouldn't, why is the king getting him out of the pit? Shouldn't he be executed? Well, Here's the thing. Daniel wasn't guilty in a legal sense. What happens in the story is Darius, instead of, uh, he followed something that scholars call an ordeal. So if you're guilty, you're executed on the spot. Like there's no coming back, no second chance, nothing. But an ordeal is different. So if a person's guilt is under suspicion, then you let the gods decide. If they're truly guilty, He'll be devoured by the lions for sure. And if he's innocent, well, nothing will happen. And it's this reasoning which allows Darius to declare Daniel innocent and get him out of the pit without actually breaking his own law that he signed. The angel plays the same role that he did in Daniel chapter 3 with the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Um, they didn't have the smell of smoke. Not a hair was singed. Well, here, the lions don't even make a move. They don't claw, they don't bite, they don't show any aggression. And so any doubts, you know, that they were fed to, like before, or like drugged or whatever, because Darius had a strong desire to see Daniel live, well, they're completely erased with what happens next. Look at verse 24. Then the king gave orders to arrest the men who had maliciously accused Daniel, and he had them thrown into the lion's den along with their wives and children. The lions leaped on them, tore them apart before they even hit the floor of the den. Okay, really uncomfortable scripture, right? Because from our perspective, I mean, that is incredibly cruel. Like, why do the families share the same fate as these officials do? Just some thoughts I want to leave with you before we move on and wrap things up here today. One, the enemy always overplays his hand. You see it in scripture time and time again. You see it in world history. I think you're seeing it or you will see it play out in our present day as well. But the enemy, he always overplays his hand every single time. And so the trap designed to ensnare Daniel, it actually traps these advisors instead and leads to their destruction. Two, your decisions affect other people. Never think for a moment that you're the only party affected by a choice you make because you're not. 
There are people who will be affected. Maybe they're friends or a spouse or kids. Maybe they aren't even here yet. Like you haven't even met them, but your choice that you're making has sent into motion circumstances which will shape that friendship. Or your choice has impacted future generations in your family. It is vitally important we understand our decisions always affect other people. So make your choices wisely. Three, shame is powerful. Eastern cultures have this view um, of, of the world through what we call a shame-honor paradigm. So bringing shame on your family, it was worse than death. It can be nearly impossible to remove shame. It can last for generations. One of the ways you remove it is to restore your honor through vengeance. So often families were wiped out, kids and everybody, grandkids, so that there would not be any vengeful um, honor, <laughs> right? Uh, uh, that, that was sought by those guys. And in this case, it would have been Darius that had been coming after. So the story wraps up in verse 26 with this. I decree that everyone throughout my kingdom should tremble in fear of the God of Daniel, for he is the living God and he'll endure forever. And his kingdom will never be destroyed and his rule will never end. He rescues and saves his people. He performs miracles and signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He's rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. And so Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Here's our third and final takeaway today, and I think it, it might be uh, it's just as important as the other two. God is in control. It may seem like the odds are stacked against you, and it may seem like you know everything's coming down hard on you, and there's no good options that are left. It might even seem hopeless, but God is in control. This has been the theme throughout the entirety of Daniel so far, but from Daniel 1 and Daniel 6, and we see that in spite of overwhelming odds and circumstances, God's in control. Some of you today, you really need that reminder, don't you? You're facing some things that maybe no one else is aware of. You're carrying things that nobody else could fathom. And it really does seem like your life is kind of spinning out of control. But God has it. He's in control. He's got this. Others of you, you're worried about tomorrow. You're concerned about the future for your kids, your grandkids. And, and, and man, like, I get it. I'm a dad. There's so much uncertainty in our world right now, and it feels like things could kind of go one way or the other at the drop of a hat, don't you, right? you know? But if you're not careful, you can get swallowed up in anxiety about what the future holds instead of focusing on who holds the future. So no matter what comes our way down the road, no matter what cultural pressures or governmental laws or financial situations we find ourselves in, know this, God saw it coming. He wasn't caught off guard. He was prepared, and he's in control. There's no magic bullet or formula for you to take when you find yourself in a tough situation. People, I think they wrongly believe that Christianity has kind of sold spiritual life hacks for the last few decades. Like, if you do this, God will bless you. And if you do that, God will take care of you. And if you can make this thing happen, your life will be amazing. Just do that. And the truth is this. That kind of thing's been happening forever, for centuries. It's not a recent phenomenon. And I think it's because when you find yourself in a place like Daniel, that's difficult and trying and overwhelming, you want the happy ending and you want the quick fix. And it's easy to get sold on that kind of thing. Knowing God is in control, it doesn't always give you a happy ending. It doesn't always make things easier. It doesn't even solve all your problems. Remember, Daniel spent his entire life in exile. Most of the Jews, they never made it back to Judah. 
But whether you're reading about Daniel or Shadrach or Meshach or Abednego or Ezekiel, there's one constant that remains. They trusted God. They had moments, I'm sure, of doubt, of worry, maybe even fear. I mean, they're human after all, okay? But they trusted God was in control. And it made all the difference in how they lived their lives and how life itself affected them. And so, you know, Daniel, he wasn't aware of of Jesus at the time, right? But he was certainly not going to use Darius as a mediator. We know today that that Christ, his role is to plead our case before God the Father. He's the mediator between God and man. But Daniel refused to assign that role to Darius. We have to make sure that, you know, we don't assign that even subtly to anyone else in our lives. His faith was consistent. It, It was his usual practice to pray. And he did it regardless of who was in control of the government. I think something everyone should keep in mind here today, right? Or what consequences would result. We would be wise, I think, to live out our faith in a very consistent manner like Daniel. And then finally, like he, he knew that God was in control. God's sovereignty is not a magic bullet to fix everything. He doesn't have an easy road for you to take. He actually promises the opposite. It's going to be hard. Um, but he is in control. And to know that a merciful, just, loving God is in control, that's enough for me. Don't let anxiety and worry hold you hostage, man. God's got this. Don't give up pleading the case of others before the Lord. Keep praying, because God's got this. Don't cave to fear and hopelessness, though it might come you know, at you with everything it has. God's got this. And you know what? He's also got you. Let me pray for you here today. Father, I love you. And thank you for those who are watching and listening right now. And uh, Father, we are in uncertain times and, 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 and many people find themselves in difficult situations here today. And I just pray, Lord, for encouragement for each person that you would just encourage them. Let them know, God, that you, you're watching everything. You, you're, you, you care. You truly love that. God, you are in control. You're in control. That Lord, you, you, you're in control. You've got everything. You've got them. And, and I pray, Lord, that would bring comfort uh, to many today who might be suffering from anxiety and worry. Lord, I pray you'd help us to have a faith that is consistent, a consistent walk with you, a consistent faith that we live out, that we model in our words and our actions and our thoughts, God, and in, 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 in our spiritual life with prayer and scripture reading. That's, that's important too, but help us to model it out consistently. No matter what the culture might pressure us to do, no matter what might come our way, may we consistently live out our faith as Daniel did, knowing we serve God, our loyalties to the Lord first. And Father, I pray that we would never forget your son is our mediator. Jesus is the mediator. We, we go to him because he pleads our case. There's no other way to God except through your son. There's no other way our prayers are heard except through your son. There's no other uh, entity we're praying to and going to except for Jesus. Lord, I pray um, that, that we keep that in mind. And, and, and that, that when your son hears these prayers and he sees our situations, and he knows what we're going through. May he plead our case before you. May he make us right with you, Lord, I pray. And, and I just thank you, Lord, for what you're going to do in each and every life and each and every heart that's out there today. Thank you, Father, for your goodness and your grace. We pray and ask all this in your name. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you have any questions or would like to reach out to us, you can do so by emailing us at media at radiantchurchsc.com or visit one of our social accounts on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. If you like what you heard today, subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss any future episodes and give us a five-star rating on the podcast platform that you listen to. We hope you have an amazing rest of your day.